You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. The Bronx. It's the only New York City borough that starts with the. It's also the home of the New York Yankees, home of hip hop, the New York Botanical Gardens, and since 2011, the Bronx Documentary Center. The BDC is a nonprofit gallery and educational space founded by photojournalist Mike Camber. The BDC is a community oriented cultural center that sponsors exhibit screenings and workshops. Their mission is to share documentary photography, film, and new media with Bronx communities and the cultural community at large. Our guests today are two Bronx-based photographers who coincidentally are members of the Bronx Documentary Center. Raina M. Santos was born in Hatore, Puerto Rico, and is a graduate of UCLA and a resident of the Bronx here, here in New York City. Ms. Santos' photographs depict everyday life, geographies, emotions, and the realities of people who live and work in the Bronx. Raina's photographs have been exhibited in Madrid in a number of New York City cultural venues, and recently she was featured in the New York Times Lens Blog. Santos is the coordinator of the Bronx Junior Photo League. She's also the curator for the popular Instagram feed Everyday Bronx. Her current and perhaps most personal project has been documenting her relationship with her aging father, Grammy Award-winning Latin musician Ray Santos, for whom she has become a caretaker. Also joining us today is portrait event and street photographer Michael Young. Michael's photographs appeared most recently in The Corner, a pop-up group show at the Bronx Documentary Center and Black Documents Freedom, an exhibit honoring renowned photographer Jamal Shabazz at the Andrew Friedman Home in the Bronx in 2017. His work has also appeared in Almost Magazine. Welcome, Raina. Welcome, Michael. Pleasure to have you guys here. Pleasure to be here. All right. Um, let's start off with Ryan, if we may, and ask a question here. Um, tell us a bit about your project, Papi El Maestro. Well, Papi El Maestro is currently actually um, exhibited at the Bronx Music Heritage Center. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was approached by the director, Elena Martinez, she asked me, you know, do you want to do you, have, do you want to have an exhibition? And I wondered what, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe I would give it to my group, the Bronx Women's Photo Collective, or maybe I would do something else with someone else. But because it was the Bronx Music Heritage Center that was a block away from where my dad grew up, I'm like, I think I'm going to show the work I've been doing on my dad for the past six years. It felt really right. And so basically, um, Hashtag Papi El Maestro is my exhibition, my work my love for my father through images. So I chose to be able to exhibit my dad. And because, you know, we're always at the BDC, the Bronx Documentary Center, I wanted to try to do something a little bit, not just incorporating my documentary work on my dad, but to try to be a little bit more creative too in another way. So I decided to do three parts for this exhibition. Part one is how I got to know my dad when I was a kid. Um, and that did your father travel a lot as a musician? My parents were divorced when I was three years old. Okay, so they were very close, and my family was very close mm-hmm. still. But that was challenging getting to know who my father was when he wasn't in the home anymore. And also, my father worked a lot 
through my childhood. And so he was always away on gigs or traveling or writing. I think when knowing a musician, once they start working, my father is a not just a saxophone player, but a composer and an arranger. And when he was writing music, there was nothing else that existed mm. but mm. that piece of music. So I really grew up being very curious. Also, I was born in Puerto Rico. My parents, um, after they married, lived in New York for just a few years, but then they went back to the island. And so I wondered what this, he was from New York as a New Yorican, and that was really interesting <laughs> to me. Like, <laughs> what was that? You know, what did that mean? I, I just knew the island. So I really started to get to know my father or a larger piece of who my father was through these archival photos that I would find in my grandmother's house. Now, you mentioned that you approached after six years of working on this project. I'm assuming that this started off as your personal thing, that this was not, or maybe I'm wrong. Did you intend to have this go public to be about your father or be about this whole thing about caretaking, which is something we're going to talk about too? Well, when I started photographing my dad, it really was an encouragement from once I started volunteering at the Bronx Documentary Center. And so okay. many different photographers would come, like on Friday nights, we had Friday night classes, and they would say, if you want to practice, you got to photo, you, you know, you got to use your camera, you got to photograph every day. But, you know, why don't you photograph what you have access to? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was... You know. That's yeah, exactly yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, man, I was living with my dad. I just had come back from Europe. So I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. So I just decided to start photographing him. I had done some interviewing with him before, and it was a really positive experience when I did that. I got to know him a little bit more. So when I came back from Spain, um, I had lived there for three years, and I just came back. He was very different. Okay. And he was living alone at the time, and... I just started to take it upon myself to, you know, change things in his house and to help him out. We would also I was going through the process of coming back from Europe and just how getting used to the United States again. So I felt a little bit like an alien myself. So he and I wound up <laughs> hanging out a lot. And um and I just saw that he needed some help. He needed some help with his he's such a creative person. And so I started helping him organizing his gigs and driving him to his gigs and dealing with people at his gigs. So that's how I started to manage him. Mm -hmm. Was he cooperative at the beginning of this idea of you documenting him and, and looking into creating a series of photos about him and interviews and such? Anyone who has met my dad, you know, in the industry, they call him the gentleman. Uh. So my dad was super cool <laughs> about it. But in Spanish, they call him a caballero, or what are they? You know, in, in English, the, in they call him the, the gentleman. The okay. gentleman. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and, uh, and he really is that. I mean, he really, really is that person. He is incredibly kind and gentle um, guy that I grew up with um, who was super passionate about music. But I didn't really know that my dad was a famous person mm. growing up. I was just like, uh, we're not really rich. So can't some be people famous, want to, yeah, can't be famous. Like I have to clean my own house. It sucks. Like, no way. There's no there's no fame here. But um but as I started growing up and um and understanding my father a little bit more, but really understanding once we moved to the United States and to really for the first time be a minority. I grew up on in my island. And so it was very, very different coming to the United States. My mom moved us all to California, to San Fernando Valley. And um, and it was really hard being Puerto Rican in the West. And so our life really centered around music. 
my mother playing salsa because it felt like the only place we could really be Puerto Rican was in our house. And so we would um, play this. um, There was only one radio station for a few hours on the weekends playing salsa music called um, Alma del Barrio. And they would start, my mom would start screaming all the time. I was like, oh, that song is your dad. That's your dad's song. And I was like, really? You know, okay, I'm proud. But it didn't really make a connection until once I moved here. I went to high school here. And people would stop him on the street. And it just really hit me. Like, who is this really super quiet guy who barely talks to me? He's a super inner introvert. And through starting to interview him, um... I stole my sister's camera, like her video camera. She still doesn't know. We won't tell anybody. It's not a secret here. Don't worry about that. Please don't tell. She'll hate me. But um, I started recording him. And through that, I really started to not just get to know him, but also hone, like asking the right questions. I wanted a particular answer, like... And so I would ask the question differently and differently. You until learned how to connect. Did it, Absolutely. Did it evolve? I mean, it must have evolved over six years, but did it start perhaps, or at least maybe in his eyes, about a conversation about his musical career and his legacy and that, and then it became something different about a relationship between you two and, and your caretaking situation or no? Is that- Absolutely. At yeah. first, it really was just about his career and really focusing on his gigs and things like that. But once um, the care started to increase, uh, something as simple as preparing a meal to then helping him pick out his clothes and things like that, he started to see me differently. I think at first he was very flattered that I would have this kind of intense interest in his life and every story. How many kids does he have? He has five kids. I'm I'm the youngest Girl, but you, I have to tell you, my dad is a magnificent storyteller, super interesting and egoless. And so you really sit in this, um, in a room with him and he'll, we'll watch TV and he'll tell me something will come up on TV. He's like, oh yeah, you know, did I ever tell you the, when I met Dizzy Gillespie? And I'm like, no. Let me get the recorder. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, but now it's become, um, it's a joke all the time. It's like, okay, well, you know do you want to do this gig with me or do you know, let's go out. It should be a great photo shoot opportunity. And I'm right. like, yeah, it would, it would be a great, <laughs> great opportunity, but he's been super easygoing, but I've also been very strict with myself about having certain boundaries of things that I'm going to photograph with my father. I want him to feel comfortable. There was one image I took that I thought was really awesome of him. Um, pushing his Walker, you know, and he's had to, now he has to use a Walker and I thought the picture was great. We went to, I take him to Orchard Beach. We walk around in the Bronx and um, he asked me to take it down. And that was the first and only time that he's ever done that. And he really didn't want people to to see that. And I really understood like, well, he's a public person. So yes. I was going to ask you, because again, I, I imagine even early on when you started to reconnect with your dad, he's putting a lot of his street cred and his pride out there. There's a certain persona that he built up and maintains, but he also had to surrender that to a little bit of, he had to humble himself to start looking at you saying, I do need help or acknowledge the fact that, yeah, help me with this and stuff. Was that easy for him to do? No, <laughs> it was bet. not. It I'll was not. It was not. We actually had a conversation today, you know, um, and this is one of the things that really encouraged me to open up about the caregiving that I do with my dad to try to connect with other people that are going through it. That is something that it is incredibly challenging, you know, as an artist, 
I looked at other projects of family members, uh, like American families, and I couldn't relate to that type of storytelling. And I didn't really have a project, a Puerto Rican or Latino project to really use as, you know, inspiration. Yeah. So, um, isn't there a certain universe and not to knock that thought, but isn't there a kind of a universal meaning to caretaking? And we were talking before the show. I mean, I, my mom's 95 and my wife and I are essentially our primary caretakers. And it's something that is humbling in its own, but it's also something that's very strengthening because you realize you get the bigger picture of what this is all about. Is there a big difference? And if so, how would you point to it as far as you saying that of being a, a, a person of color, a minority in this country, compared to me where I, I blend in, I'm, I'm Jewish and everything else, I'm also second generation here. What are the differences? What kind of challenges would you have specifically when it comes to, say, caretaking? These things that, how would it go? Well, the first thing I would challenge you to think about is instead of using the word caretake, I would use the word caregive. Thank you. To be a caregiver. I think that also gives you a lot of agency, you and your wife, instead of taking something and and there's this weird exchange. It's about really lovingly giving. All points taken. Very valid. Um, Thank you. I know for me that helped me. Yeah, no, no, that's important. That was, it gave me me a different perspective Mm -hmm. on it. And also that it is a choice. Yes. That we make. And once you accept a choice, you go through it very differently. Oh, yeah. So those are the first things. Um, and But then, you know, as I'm doing this project, um, even before I started going to the Bronx Documentary Center, I have loved images. I have loved taking pictures. I didn't have the language or the knowledge or the expertise before I went to the BDC. And the BDC became my elementary, high school, college, grad school, everything (laughs) in one. And I will always be incredibly grateful for them because at that point, I wasn't going to go to grad school for photography. Again, I didn't even have that understanding that they gave me there and support. But as um, I've always considered myself uh, so I love her a photo. So I've always been attached to photography. I've always had a camera of some sort, super cheap. Um, but <laughs> the connection, <laughs> no, super cheap. I didn't, <laughs> no judgment. None whatsoever. Um, but, um, but that's, but so to me, when I look at art, I always look at it obviously through the lens of a woman of color um, because of one equipment and everything else, you know, that I didn't have access to growing up. So I would see my father always through the lens of someone that had to capture it through photos because I've had to capture my whole life through photos, like a journal. And I couldn't relate to other projects because culturally where I come from, I look at my mother and my father in a very respectful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's certain things you don't let, you know, Puerto Rican families are certain, certain things you don't share in, in public, certain things you don't talk about in public outside of your own family. And photography is about opening that and breaking that boundary mm-hmm. between, you know, participant and viewer. And so for me, that's what I really struggled with. So I couldn't never divorce myself from who I was and the subject that I was shooting. So has it gotten more difficult with my father? Absolutely, because he has aged, you know, God, you know, you know, he's 90 years old. He turned 90 in December, thank God. And um still incredibly sharp working currently. 
um, an incredible holder of I Can't Express of Latin music history. He will read music encyclopedias like books and he will tell me, he's like, well, that person, that's the wrong caption because that's not that person, this, this musician. And also seeing as a person of color, understanding the lack of um, means and connections to education and materials. Also is the low, how Latin music is really seen as low art. And so I also had that pressure, like, I really have to document this guy, you know, really, really try to get, you know, the, um, the right information, the history, because this is not just my history, but this is American history, too. Latin music being so sure. incredibly popular, late 40s, 50s, early 60s. You know, it desegregated the dance halls in mm-hmm. New York City in the 50s. Made Paul Simon's reputation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And along with many others. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. My yeah. father has worked with so many different people that people would Oh, I read his be, credit lines. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, awesome. Yeah. No, no, no. He is. And so it's been challenging to really walk that line of being a loving daughter, um, a daughter that also wants to develop her own photography career, regardless of what's happening in my personal life. But then also trying to elevate this person that I feel has been really ignored, this incredible creator and giver of um, talent, you know, within the Puerto Rican Latino community. And then also to really try to pass on this um, pride about the Bronx, too, because the Bronx, you know, has also been the cradle of Latin music within uh, New York City, too. So many of the greats lived in the Bronx and met in the Bronx for a reason. Do you think this may spill over to something bigger in that sense, and to music and Latin music in the city, or who knows? You know, I really, I really do hope so. I've been very much, you know, because I feel as an older photographer myself, you know, I, I started um, later in life in photography, not like, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people start very young or go to, you know, undergrad and grad. Um I think that I'm super open for this to really evolve into something Was this new. your first long-term project? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a bit about, you, you talked about uh, the gear or the, the, the cheap camera. Who cares, right? None of us care about that <laughs> stuff. But but was there a, kind of a, a process to get over the, the worry about the gear and what you were using and, and legitimizing the process because, oh, I don't have a good camera or something like that? And then how did that evolve? And I see you shooting with the Fuji, which is kind of in some ways the right now the the camera of choice for street and documentary and things like that so talk a little bit about that process too as you went along i think that's a great question i think that's a great question to really talk about and a theme to talk about when it deals with um of color photographers mm-hmm. or you know photographers that you know don't the have access to, absolutely right, to money. I mean, and that is real, real. That's what that it is, yeah. when i would meet all these different photographers and and you know again being at the bdc so blessed yeah. to have these amazing famous people walk through the door every Friday. You're mm-hmm. just like, oh my, and there would be 10 people in the room. Uh, so you can ask all the questions you wanted. But one of the questions always would be is like about access. Where did you get your, you know, not necessarily about, you know, what a, what camera you're using, but how can we create art if we don't have that $10,000 camera, you know? And it became this personal and political point for me. And it really um, informed me as I continued, and this is why I do um, the Instagram feed, I'm the founder of Everyday Bronx and part of the um, the Everyday Projects uh, group. And because it is about creating images through your phone. I mean, obviously now things have changed since it's, Instagram started, but I'm such a huge proponent of access. Everyone should be able to express themselves 
um, through photography if they choose so. So I don't. And so when I talk and I, you know, do talks with kids and things like that or other adults, I always try to bring this up about access. For me, it was hard because I did walk in believing I have to get, you know, the top camera. There are some projects. I mean, what look do you want to have? Yeah. What oh, do you sure. want to say? So, I mean, right it's, it's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. But there's also a bottom line, though. I think that once you understand photography is the camera is not the critical aspect. It's your eyes. I, you know, if you're a photographer and you know what you're doing, you can you could just take a box with a pinhole in it and you but, can go out and within those limitations, but you have to get there. But you have to get there. But once you get there, you realize that you don't need that $10,000 camera. You don't. And exactly. also that yeah. that lack of access makes a difference. Then it really it really does in you know inform who is actually taking photos now and who is not and so that's a good thing to talk about as well you know to be able to how can we usher more you know people of color so we can tell more well rounded stories and also to me just even not even wanting to be you know if, even if you don't want to be a professional photographer again talking about you know how you know if you're poor. You don't have the privilege of exercising your creativity, and that is painful. And I think that that is something that we need to talk about as well. I don't teach photography or, um, you know, to try to push everyone into becoming a photojournalist, but it is so much so about giving people the knowledge and belief that they can express themselves. And I think it's important, especially, you know, among a community of color. On the flip side, I'm sorry to cut you off, but a flip side to, to this conversation is that in a, a series like you're doing with, with your dad or any other kind of intimate thing, you may not want that big camera. You don't want that big loud clunker. You want something yeah. that... That's not going to get something more transparent. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's so. and it's a great point because I actually the reason that the exhibition is called hashtag Papi el Maestro is because I started it on my phone. Right. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk a little bit about like yeah, did you and I think Alan touched on this. Did you ever think you were going to be having this in the New York Times, exhibiting it? Even was it did it start as something just to kind of work it through your own system and see where it goes as a project? And you mentioned the BDC and how it how it began, but. Uh, what did you think about it when you first started? I just, I also thought besides, you know, just practicing my photography and, and documenting this, you know, famous, important man, um, I just thought it would be important for our families. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up, I only had two photos of myself when I moved to, from Puerto Rico to the United States. So to me, also printed images are a big deal because I didn't grow up with mm -hmm. any and we were so poor when we got to the United States. We didn't have a camera for a really long time. So there are huge chunks of my life that are not documented right. at all. So I'm obsessed yeah. with that because I didn't have that, you Sounds know, like, in, yeah, had, uh, uh, in my life. Siza Cruz Bakani on our show uh, said something very similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, and it's meaningful and it does reflect because also I have been privileged enough to travel the world. I've lived, you know, in Spain and, you know, I love art. I go, you know, love going to museums. And the thing is my experience has always been, I barely ever see people that look like me in frames, in photographs, you <laughs> yeah. know. And for me, it's like, wait a minute, I want to try to create images that I want to look at. You know, when you find something that is missing, then do it yourself. I mean, that's how come my series, um, Fandom, Size, and the Force, I went to Star Wars convention in Anaheim, California, and I decided to photograph plus-size women 
Star Wars fans at the Star Wars convention. And it's (laughs) super, you know, super unique. And, you know, I felt really weird telling, you know, my friends at the BDC that I was going to do it. But (laughs) it became one of the most transformative experiences I have ever had in my entire life because I had always hoped, looked for and dreamt to see those photos because one, they're female fans. And two, um, Plus size people do exist and we have, you know, respect. And so I've been photographing some, this is going to be, I'm going to go to the Star Wars convention in two weeks. So I'm going to meet some people that I photographed through three conventions and to really chronicle the difference and how it's a movie, but how this movie and the changes in the movies of inclusion of other people of color, Um, has changed fandom and how, as people of color, we also change the space because we are there. If you go there, there are about 50,000 people, and it's people from all (laughs) over the world, unlike what you would see in some of the fandom world, which is just, you know, looks like um, white men. Like, that's not really true. Wow, that's a great point. Yeah, I wanted to get back to maybe two questions regarding the Papi El Maestro, but... um, you said he asked you to take out a photo. Uh, was there a decision that you had to make or was it just a no-brainer? It's oh, no, it was an absolutely no-brainer. Okay. I think at the end of the day, you know, I edit myself even before. Mm-hmm. I photograph where I did heavily. I think that now, um, since the exhibition, I've gotten such positive reaction from the images that um, I'm showing a lot of other photos. Um, again, still trying to be very respectful to my father and his wishes. But no, I mean, it wasn't a no, it was a no-brainer that I would remove that image there, that he didn't feel comfortable there with. There is a photograph that I saw of him with a walker, isn't there? Or am I mistaken that? Um, no, I have, I'm not in the show. Not in the but show. But in the New York Times article, perhaps? The, yes, at the cem- at a cemetery. Am I right yes, or wrong? Yeah, that's okay. That's the I, only one. That's okay. the only one. Okay. All right. But he was okay yeah, about that, or is that where yeah. we started to get he a little bit of? That one. He was okay with yeah, that. I, I that think that so um, he. I think he's had to relent too a little bit. <laughs> Come on, yeah. it's your favorite newspaper. Come that's on, it. right? You know? That's right. Give or take, right? At yeah. the grave of his his parents. So that's right. That, that, know, that's they, little... I mean, it was a great photograph. It's a, yeah. a lot of very powerful. By the way, I also want to just go back to one thing you're talking about. You know, in the Bronx, people do not have the means. Uh, create, having the time to be creative is is a luxury, and then having the tools is something that is not easy to get a hold of, and. I, I've referred to this so many times, but one of my teachers in high school said something that I'll never forget. And it was about creativity. And we were given an assignment, and there were all kinds of things. It has to do this, has to do that, and that, all these parameters, and everyone's bitching and moaning about it. And he said something that will never leave me. He goes, you have to understand something. I'm giving you these limitations because you need a starting point. Because once you know what you cannot do, everything else is possible. You start with your limitations. That's your starting point. So if all you have is this $20 camera and a 12 exposure roll of film, then that's your starting point. You go out and you take 12 damn good pictures to the best of your ability at that point in time. Absolutely. I mean, it's a question that I get asked quite often in terms of gear. Like, what do you use? Um, How do you take the images that you take? I think I started out like with a Pentex but the thing was, I had to come full circle. I got that camera. I shot with it. I love the images that it produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it challenged me in terms of its limitations when I didn't know its limitations. Yeah. Um, and 
it forced me just to be able to use the, the equipment that I had. I had a 50 millimeter lens and I think I had a kit lens, 18 to 55 kit lens. And um, yeah, I just kind of took off with that camera. Um, for me, I started shooting. Um, I, I, my wife got me a one day workshop to learn about manual photography. Mm-hmm. And I got after that, I think things just like the whole world just changed to me. And I started getting, um, I started wanting to get the light, um, the flash, the pop-up flash. I wanted the light off the camera and I started moving that light around. And man, I, I can't even tell you what what happened in terms of was, it was really transformative for my life in terms of just being able to, to, to take this camera and just create and create these different type of mood and 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 just like sculpt light. Um, and in the beginning, it was it was difficult to 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 learn. But I I used YouTube um, and I I was on Flickr. I was like one of the earlier people on Flickr. Um, this is before Instagram. And um, again, it was always a thing where um, I was finally able to upgrade and get a, a Canon 5D Mark III. Like I think the year that that it came out, but. The crazy thing was after I started shooting with the Canon, I loved the images, loved shooting, being able to shoot full frame, and it and it gives it, a different look and a feel. But it didn't make you more creative. No, or it didn't make you a better photographer. No. Right? It never makes you a better photographer. That's right. If you can't take decent images, even with a cell phone, um, mm-hmm. then you know it really comes down to your creativity, your eye, and the thing that I love about photography that. I carry with me is I don't have to be in competition with anyone but myself. Everyone has such a unique perspective and vision that it can't be reproduced. Ten people can be in the same room taking ten different pictures of the of the same subject, but it always comes out different. So it always it it never ceases to amaze me. And that's kind of what I use when I talk to people about not getting hung up on gear. I started out a little hung up. It wasn't, I think, until I upgraded and got the got the camera that I wanted and got the lenses. I look at the camera body is really um, the you know the camera. Each camera with its with its um, limitations causes you to think differently and approach your approach your subject differently. So. One of the things that happens to me is like if 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 today I'm just going to be using my phone or today I'm just going to be using my Rico, my mind is like focused on on its plus and its minuses, and I'm going to push it within its parameters, right? Within the parameters, and it's always trying to shoot within those parameters with whatever gear I have helps me not to like obsess over getting a 5D Mark IV, which I'd like to get, and <laughs> I'd like to get the Fuji GX. I'd love to shoot medium format, uh-huh. but I'm actually shooting with a Roly as well um, through the BDC, um, and I'm shooting film, and I'm shooting 120 film, and shooting medium format, and my God, I love it. I Is love it so cool. much. I love the aesthetic of it. Um and I'm hoping at some point to incorporate that into like my street fashion mm-hmm. um, going forward. And th- just being able to have that tactile feeling where you're taking the, uh, the image, you're developing it and you're, you're in the dark room and you and, and, and the image appears in, in the chemicals. And it's just such an amazing thing. It's you, such an amazing you, process. Mean, your work, you know, I found I came to know you through the street photography mostly the black and white stuff but yes. you got a, you know, all kinds of work out there yeah the commercial work you're doing landscape and the color work when mm-hmm. let's say you wake up on a Tuesday I mean 
How does it work? <laughs> how, how do you decide today's a color day? Is it eeny, meeny, miny, moe? Yeah. So, so, okay. So initially, my inspiration, I have like, so I have like um, an encyclopedia of inspiration. So it begins. <laughs> Can I yeah, yeah. So it begins with my aunt who was the family documentary mm-hmm. um we she all got used one to, family, right family. we always have that member right <laughs> uncle jerry and, in my house okay all right well my, my i'm gonna it's auntie tell it's really aunt ellen <laughs> but when we were kids we couldn't pronounce ellen so we 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 came up with auntie tell and it kind of stuck and it, it's never changed <laughs> right, right? Yeah. so auntie tell used to take all the pictures and in the square frame she used to put um all of the captions and the information um <laughs> And it filled the albums. And I remember as a kid always loving, you know, that I could always see the milestones in our in our family history in those albums. And she even created albums for each one of us. She was really, really good at documenting things. Do you think we're going to be passing hard drives down to our grandkids? <laughs> with this, folders that's, how, that's how it's looking right yeah, I know. Now. And it's yeah. scary because I don't know how many kids are going to be able to crack those things open. Right. I know. And, and it's if all they crash, topic. it's all gone. A whole other topic. But, um... But yeah, but but she was really amazing with that. And so it inspired me um, in, in, in my early 20s just, you know, to have a point and shoot, to document as many things as I could. Usually it was just the milestones or if we traveled, you know, the basic snapshots that I, I that I, that's what I refer them to as, as being like just snapshots and family memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until later on that. I think around the time when I was dating my wife, her family, um, her her mother's brother worked at Pentex and gave them a, a 35 millimeter film camera. And I'd always loved um, the movie cinema. It was like a big thing for me. I was a, a performing arts major in high school um, with hopes and aspirations of acting. I did some off-Broadway and some extra work. Hey, you'd be on where, a microphone right now. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm back in it. Back in the <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, so although back back then um, I used to like a lot of, um, like, um, Night of the Hunter. You know, oh, I liked yes. I like that black and white uh-huh, aesthetic. I yeah. like a lot of noir, um, some of the 40s movies. So those things kind of stuck with me and they stayed in my head. And um, when I finally started shooting and started deciding that I wanted to do like street photography, street photography for me was like a crazy evolution. It's like I started just taking pictures of street signs. Mm-hmm. And then I was living in the Bronx when I when I really started getting serious about shooting. And, and the graffiti I always loved since I was a kid. I used to, I miss seeing it on the trains, but you know, now you just see it on walls and on murals. And so I used to go around and 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 photograph that. And then I started thinking like, well, it would be I think it would be a little more interesting if I had something in in the frame, some kind of human element. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. And and it started just to evolve from color, the signs, the graphic, the textures, all of those different things started, it started evolving and I started messing around with filters um, if I shot with my phone or if um, whenever I was shooting with the Pentex, I would, you know, I put it through Silver Effects Pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I saw all these different presets and it would, it, 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 you know, it just tripped me out how different things looked when you took the color away, when you removed color. Can I ask you to jump in here real quick? Because my, my evolution is, it sounds kind of similar, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of starting in the street and, and what you see around, graffiti signs, whatnot. How was it when you had to, when you did start to incorporate people? Was it 
tricky? Was it hard? And maybe you can talk about some of your techniques. I mean, do you, do you speak with people when you shoot them or you tend to shoot on the, on the sly? Yeah. Um, so, probably a little bit both, but you know, talk yeah. about how that was. And it's hard for people to, to make that, that break, start and shoot people, strangers, of course. You know? Yeah. It's actually, that's another question that I get often. Like, do you approach people? Um, how do you, um, deal with the human element? Mm-hmm. And I think, it evolved just like it did with the signs and the graphic. You know, um, I started putting incorporating people into it, and then I would I would actually go on YouTube and mm-hmm. I would look at like Eric Kim, mm-hmm. or I would look at um, I'm trying to think of you know the names are starting to um, elude me at the moment, but I would look at like Gary Gary Winogrand and and I would look at um, um, Brisson. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would look at all of these different people's work and. I would try to see if there was a way that I could incorporate people without being seen. I I wanted to be as not present as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there would be someone with such an amazing look that I I have to ask them for a photo. So just like the question you asked, like, like, what's it going to be Tuesday? Are you going to do landscape? Are you going to do portraits? Are you, what are you going to do? Man, it's like wherever my eye takes me, and it's really more than my eye, it's wherever the light takes yeah, me, yeah, you know? Yeah. One yeah. of the reasons I, I love Mike's work so much, you know, I met him, uh, we were both uh, started out as volunteers at the mm-hmm. Bronx Documentary Center. One, just meeting other Bronxites that love to photograph the Bronx, because mm-hmm. you, when you're doing it, I mean, as a photographer, you're you're out alone. It's, you know, you're by yourself. And so, of course, you think like, well, maybe, you know, I'm the only person taking photos of of the Bronx. But mm-hmm. to be in a room full of mm-hmm. people that, you know, are interested in the Bronx as yeah. well and or that love photography was, you know, life changing for me. Yeah. But I just love his point of view of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I think. You can really see, even though he wasn't born in the Bronx. Right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they keep reminding me of that. that yeah. I just had to say it. I know. I know. People they comment had to put it out about there. it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but there's such love that you have for the Bronx, and you can see it through, through your images. Also, he's an incredibly humble guy, mm-hmm. and I think he is such an <laughs> fantastic you. talent. And you can, you're, you know, you are so diverse with what you do oh, with you. with your photography, but I... Well, the feeling is mutual. I love looking at your Instagram. And I love I looking love at yours, yeah. too. <laughs> You're featured on Everyday Bronx a lot. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, t- talk a little bit about the, the Claremont Village Project. Okay, so the Claremont Documentary Project explores um, diverse lives and stories of the residents of the Claremont Village, um, which is a New York housing authority, public housing development located in the Morsania section of the South Bronx. So through... You know, photographs, oral history, film, and multimedia. Rhina, myself, and a group of other photographers are going to be exploring a range of political and economic issues, such as lead contamination, food security, access to healthcare, infrastructure, and policing. Um, we also will follow the lives of everyday families, collect oral histories from the houses of the oldest residents and chronicle the West African community that's there. The first year of the project was from 2017 to 2018. It was photographed by the Bronx Photo League, um, and their work resulted in the festival that you attended, which was Claremont Illuminated. Illuminated. Right. Yeah, it was a two-day mm-hmm. outdoor photography festival that was that happened at Claremont Village. Mm-hmm. In the project's second year, there are myself and Rhina and 10 other photographers. What we hope to do 
is bring a wide range of experience to storytelling there. Yeah, so that that's pretty much what we hope to do. We hope to explore all these different topics. Um, I have a pro- project that I'm working on called Generations um, because of my personal experience growing up in the projects. Um, and th- the thing with the projects is it's, it's had a negative uh, stigma attached to it. It doesn't matter what borough or, or what state uh, a project development, a, a housing project is in. It generally has um, a negative connotation to it. And so... Um, growing up there, I, I I saw the humanity of everyone who lived there. Um, but I know that when I was young, I kind of wanted to get out of the projects. Um, I remember around the time that I turned nineteen or twenty, I got married just so I could get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I could get. Mm-hmm. I was. I needed. I wanted to get out or get think, out of my do you mom's think that house. Is like a, how do I say this? That that idea of wanting to get out is kind of like baked into to the to growing up there. I mean, it I, could I, be. It could be, of course. I mean, everyone's it, different. I get that, but right. I mean, it seems to be so such part and parcel of it, and that needs to change, right? I mean, exactly. Kind of and so, one of the things with my with my project, it, it explores um, the the way people see or are perceived who live in mm-hmm. the housing projects. Mm-hmm. It's not just I'm doing it. I'm doing it for for the people who are there who need to be highlighted. Um, even today, I had an interview with a woman who is just amazing with the amount of work that she's done as an educator. She lives there. She's taking care of her family there. And there are so many gems that live in the environment. Like we all have so much to contribute to humanity, but sometimes we are separated by um, socioeconomic issues, different different things, class, class structure, um, the color of our skin. And, we add so much value to each other if we could just remove those things. However, um, you know, we live in this world and what we try to do is we're trying to shine a light on people who who really need to be highlighted in terms of what they've contributed. I want to jump back to this question. Um, will you go forward with your father's project with Papial Maestro? Is, that, is it an over? And if it is, how did you realize it was over? And the second half of this question is, did it ultimately end up becoming kind of a self-portrait? So the work will continue to go on. I photograph my dad all the times. Um, But now because I've been able to do the exhibition, I think I am beginning to take photos that I wasn't taking before. Um, It's moving more from documentation, documentary photography, to trying to really play and be as artistic as possible. It's allowed me to really fit into this role of caregiver because some of the images, you know, that are in the show for me are very difficult to look at. And they just show me not just a state of, you know, my dad who's older and everything that that means to a daughter um, who always desperately wanted to know this person who admires this person. There's nothing like having a father that you admire. It is such a gift uh, for a child to have that. And I, feel so blessed to have had that my whole life. But then also um, to look at him and to look at the process as a photographer, like to really embrace that. Uh, and it's been a long journey to really call myself that and and to express myself in that kind of, of way. And lastly, 
I would love for this conversation to go on when it comes to other caregivers, because it is an incredibly difficult position to be in. And I want to be able to, if I can inspire someone to pick up a camera, to look at a loved one or another person, to want to understand, to see, you know, how important it is to look, the looking Mm. Um, it makes you a stronger person. On that note, we're going to take a short break and come back with more with Mike and Reina. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Okay, we are back. John, you had a couple of questions. Why don't you jump right into okay, it? Okay, well, thank you. Alan mentioned at the beginning of the show the the Bronx Documentary Center was started by Michael Camber in 2011. There's this beautiful old house that serves as a gallery and, and workshop space and, I guess, offices as well. But it, in my experience, it's the doors are open. It's a, it's like a community center. People can just come in. Now, are you guys within walking distance? Do you guys kind of find this as part of your day-to-day life? And... And talk about your experiences there and how you, you came to be part of it. And now you, you're you on staff to some degree, right? I mean, yes. you are on staff. So, yes, yeah. yes. I have two jobs there now. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> but when I first found out about the BDC, I was at my first exhibition in New York City. Someone brought up the BDC and I had never heard of it. I looked it up that night, wrote Mike the next day and he said come on Friday which was the following day and I was at the BBC <laughs> on Friday what, what year was this then? this is 2013 okay fall All 2013 right. and I've been there ever ever since but um, for me I live about maybe 12 13 minutes driving from the Bronx Documentary Center and I can't express to you the privilege of having an art place about photography where you live. I've never experienced Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. in the Bronx before. I mean, obviously we have the Bronx Museum and other art spaces, but something specifically for photography. And when I walked up, it was this beautiful building and has these glass um, walls. It's a historic building, if I'm not mistaken, right? It is. Part of the preservation, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it used to to be many, many things. Mm Like a Dutch bar or really, you know place. more than I do. Really, and wow! A candy store. It was abandoned before Mike got yeah. it. Yeah, it was a blockbuster video. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but just impressive, just to have again in the south. And this is in the you know in the south, the real South the Bronx. The real South Bronx, actually, in the real South Bronx. And um, and so just walking up, it was just really taken by the fact of it being such a beautiful place. And sadly, you don't see that type of investment from people from the outside uh, of the Bronx to make in the borough. So I felt from jump um, that this was a special place. But then walking in and talking to other photographers, finding out that there are other Bronx photographers, I was shocked (laughs) because again, you know, photography is such a solitary thing. And, um, but it is so important to have a space where you live. I always had to get on the six to go and see anything about photography or most, you know, or other art forms. Um, and so, you know, I never lived that privilege that I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive, you know, 12 minutes and I'm going to be there. That to me, and it sounds like nothing, but it really changed my life because it allowed me to actually be a huge part of this place. And it's 
in a sense, it's yours. I mean, you you, you, can, you can take ownership of something that's that's right absolutely there. Yeah, right. right, and it, and it's then that makes a difference. Sure, yeah, sure. yeah Michael. So my experience is similar in um, the same year. Ryan and I came to the to the BDC in 2013, but my but my experience was okay. Uh, I moved from Soundview section of the Bronx over to the Melrose section of the Bronx. Um, and this is where I'm starting to develop my love for photography. Um, you know, um, I lost a friend whose wife sold me his, his um, camera equipment. And I my wife gets me this manual workshop. And now I am like on a mission. I'm working 25 years in finance. Um, and suddenly... The only thing, and I hated it. I hated every day of it, being stuck in a cubicle. And the only thing that seemed to really speak to me and and really like lift my spirit was was taking taking images. So um, my wife, who was a huge inspiration um, in my portrait photography, because she she was the person that I that I really started photographing. Um, her muse. her and my daughter and yeah. right and she became my muse and still is she was walking through the area and she saw the BDC now she knew that since i was starting to like really start putting a portfolio together like well maybe this is a spot mike that you could go to maybe you should talk to them about maybe doing like having a show there cuz she didn't know what it was mm-hmm. um and i stopped over and i spoke with mike and, you know, he told me, yeah, uh, send me a couple of shots and come to our Friday night class. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not really a gallery space like that, honey. But, you know, it's it, it seems like a really cool environment to hang out and there'll be other photographers there. They, they talk about that they have this class on Friday and they critique your work. And so I stopped in and that was kind of it for me. You know, I would <laughs> go on the Friday nights and be so inspired by not just the amazing photographers that I met that that shot in the Bronx, but also the different um, talents that they would bring in to speak with us um, and kind of educate us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knew something, I knew something special was going on because every time I sat there and they put images up on the, the projector, there would be like moans and sighs coming out of me that I that I I wasn't aware that I was making because of the imagery that I was power seeing. The image, yeah. yeah, the power yeah. of the image, yeah. exactly. It's and um, yeah. it was so incredibly inspiring and encouraging to me to what I was doing, and I just wanted to be a part of it any way I could. Um, so I've I've volunteered um, a couple of times for for a few events, and um, and now I'm a part of the the Claremont Fellowship. Has the association changed your work a little bit? Have you seen it? It uh, changed my life. Uh-huh. Um, my very first exhibition ever mm-hmm. was at the BDC, Bronx by go. Bronx. Um, okay. And Ryan was in that show, and it was uh, how many of us? Like twenty of us, where our work was was exhibited, and um, it had a really great reception. And for me, it was like really amazing because it was how did I end up here? <laughs> how did this end up happening? And the um, and the and I know that since. To 2013, like the the reputation of that place has only grown um, with everything that's that's been going on there and all the work that they're doing in the community, especially with the work that they're doing with children, exposing them, especially especially in an underserved area. They're exposing them to the arts. They're exposing them to photography. They're 
broadening their horizons and giving them other opportunities. Um, And I love just the hands-on approach that the BDC takes and how they teach the kids the essentials. They teach them film photography. You know, they, they, they take it back to the core. Yeah, Mike is talking about the after-school educational program at the Bronx Documentary called the Bronx Junior Photo League. And, um, and you know, and it's expanded now to, we have 60 students. And one of my jobs there is that I'm the college counselor, college success for the Bronx Junior Photo League. And I help and I counsel um, seniors, juniors, and uh, the other, uh, the rest of the kids to talk about college. Also, you know, we, you know, talk about the application process, you know, getting into college and succeeding in, in graduation. And I think that that type of, that is an example, that college success is an example of how thoughtful the Bronx documentary really is and about the success of people. And this happens to be for young people. We also, um, being involved with the Bronx Photo League, which is the adult program. Um, we're taking a little break right now, but once um, we're able to to get going again on it, it's it changed the lives of, you know, the people that are now my friends that I've been able to be featured in the New York Times, um, being able to meet other photographers and to really just give an opportunity, one, education, and to, you know, um, support and help to be able to move forward when, in a career of of photojournalism and then um, evolving also into the Bronx Senior Photo League. And that leads into my second job at the Bronx Documentary Center, which is um, I teach older adult digital photography. And so we just expanded the program literally weeks ago into two other centers. So now we're at three centers. And then, so I've been able to really literally see the different age groups from teenagers to adults to older adults. And what I have seen similar, you know, in all these groups is this desire to learn and to grow and evolve. And if you really do quality work, quality educational work, you will get that back. And that's what I love about the BDC. The BDC also runs, you know, it's more, it's a group of people because of the incredibly dedicated staff. People are attracted to go there because they themselves have very similar philosophies about community, um, about work, and also about art. And so I love that about the Bronx Documentary Center. But I definitely, I started as just a volunteer and now do, do, you, do you Do you get the connection between everything you just said and our original conversation when it came to your project about your father, it's all about caregiving. Everything mm-hmm. you're talking about here is about giving. Mm-hmm. And what you, yes, get, you're, and yes, what you're you getting, get when you give. Yes, <laughs> yes. But you talk more about giving than taking and getting. And this is why I really wanted to develop my photography career in the Bronx with other people of color. I was, you know, lucky enough to go to UCLA for undergraduate studies. And again, being a minority there too. And I just didn't want, because this was now my choice. I could do whatever I want, but now I wanted to really try, you know, my hand at photography. But I wanted specifically, it was a choice that I wanted to develop this art form surrounded by other people of colors, you know, and for them to be my subjects as well. And it is, and this group of people at the BDC 
want to give. I mean, this is, it's an incredibly challenging job. You know, you are working all the time. It's not just, you know, dealing with educational program, but also, you know, the ongoing exhibitions, documentaries, talks, book launches, you know, the, you know, um, community, you know, uh, we have the, um, yeah, the, 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 the block party, the block party, the first, you know, Latino photo festival in New York city. That's right. That's going to be an annual thing. And just also being at the forefront of really thinking, how can we do gallery work differently? Right. You know, and, um, and we have amazing people and that how do that. Start? Is that. Just someone who wants to, to join is, is there a membership with a, a small dues? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming the, no, it's great that you that you brought that up. We do have memberships for, you know, to be able um, we everything is free for Bronx residents. But if you don't happen to live in the Bronx, there are small fees. You're not lucky enough to live in the that's Bronx. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's there's, right. There's small fees for different uh, different events that, that we do have. And so the membership gives you a lot of access. Right. And also there's a lot of swag and gear that goes with <laughs> right, that right, too. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> and outside of some of the um, things that we have um, that run, you know, on a weekly basis, we also have special workshops. Um, they give a lot of access to where um, someone who was going, maybe is going to ICP, they would have to like pay for, pay right. a large sums of money for the access that the BDC provides mostly for free. Mm -hmm. And if not, and if it's mm -hmm. not completely free, it's at a very discounted rate. Right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, to have that uh, two, a two weekend book workshop for the price that, that it was, I mean, it's just, that's incredible. It was, it was incredible. But then <laughs> if people are interested, we also really desperately need volunteers. Mm -hmm. right. And so that's another way to really get involved and uh, to, to be able to really give back and also just being around other photographers. I think that that's elevates like, your work yeah, as well. It's, it's always been an elevation to me to, to be able to get feedback and to be able to sit and, and see other people's work and, and just be inspired by that and, um, and also be an inspiration to other people and to be a mentor to other people, to be able to um, talk to other people about, sh you know, sharing our philosophies and our techniques on on how we achieve certain things. Yeah, and this, you know, going back to to the question that you asked, you know, what, do, you know, the difference, you know, about the caregiving. And this is exactly why. The Bronx Documentary Center, being in the Bronx, elevates it and makes it unique because it is around people that have grown up without that. And there's a level of appreciation and then also understanding, a deep understanding of really needing to pass that on because the cycle needs to continue and hopefully be able to really usher younger people and older adults into creating. It's like, there's an artist inside of you too. That's and maybe right. you didn't have the time for it now, but you know, That's you can right. do it now. Let me ask you real quickly. Um, is, is the part of the mission of the BDC to document the Bronx necessarily? Or, I mean, are there photographers there who are working on projects that have nothing to do with the Bronx? They're just using it as kind of their base. No, absolutely. No, yeah. we have uh, photographers that covering, you know, you know, uh, different, you know, things that are happening in different countries, mm -hmm, different mm -hmm. states, mm -hmm. Manhattan, yeah. you know, Where? everywhere. What? I don't know. You mean yeah, down, yeah, you mean yeah. down State Bronx, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think it's um, so we have photographers that are are working on a lot of different things, not just right. in the Bronx. But there is there is a need, specifically in the South Bronx, to fill a need mm -hmm. for people that without a place like that wouldn't have that level of access. I took last year my Bronx Senior Photo League class 
to the Met, mm -hmm. which is a museum that people from all over the world come and see. It's an icon to New York City. And they've never been there. They right? had so never, many, yeah, never sure. been there. All of them <clears throat> wow. had never all been wow. to the Met. And 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 also it's a it's a large eye-opening thing about what are our institutions really doing to outreach to other New Yorkers. Good point. Right. Sure. You know, what type of you know, because some of these institutions are incredibly expensive to get into. Again, who gets to look at art? Who gets to appreciate art? Who gets to be surrounded by that beauty? And so it was a big deal for us to go. And I told him, this is a political thing. We're going. We're going to this place. <laughs> because this place, you belong here. And you're going to change that place just by being there and telling that to older adults. They were on fire and That's they great. loved it. That's awesome. They loved it. Even what my, the ones that had a difficult time getting around, moving, you know, having uh, physical limitations. Well, just think, I mean, if, if part of the goal is to have the stories of the Bronx told, just think in 10 years or 15 years when the, the first generation of kids you know, that started it or, or came through the BDC or out there telling their own stories, you know, it's just going to grow. It's gonna that's going to be something gonna be that's yeah. going to be something to see. Yeah. No, yeah and yeah, it's yeah. really important also as, you know, with kids, adults, I am a direct, you know, I benefited from the education. It's made, it made me feel differently. It gave me, you know, a beginning to a career that I deep down didn't think was possible to older adults and changing them. I have, you know, older adults that have changed their whole weekly schedule just to be in my class because when you teach someone to think critically and to look at themselves with pride, it just trickles and it filters into everything else. So I think it is important. They don't have to be professional photographers, but they'll look at the world differently and themselves in that world. His name came up earlier, uh, Jamel Shabazz. So, uh, and I heard you say he was a mentor. I know for you. So, can you guys just talk a little bit about the, his influence, the role he's played, uh, the status he has now in 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 New York City photographers and and anything wow. else? Wow. I mean, I I don't know. You want to go first? I don't. know. I would love to go first. All right. I there are no words yeah. <laughs> that I have that could describe the power and influence um, and support of this man. I love social media because I actually got a hold of him on his website and I mm -hmm. wrote, I want to get into photography. Um, this is before I went to the Bronx Documentary Center. I don't know how to do it. And actually I met him at his favorite printer. He was printing some images and we sat, you know, in this um, place and he spoke to me for two and a half hours and he was so kind. And this is the first real photographer that I ever met. I remember as a teenager going to a museum, going to um, El Museo del Barrio, and I saw his work and I had never in my life had seen a photo book with people that looked like me before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and with a Puerto Rican flag and it shook me. I couldn't afford the book, so I couldn't buy it. But I remember that. And I remember calling my best friend. It's like, I just saw this book and I just can't believe it. I've never seen this work before. I've never seen these images. And it made, and it changed me. And to be sitting in a room with him and um, and he encouraged me to to apply for this um, for this contest. And, and, you know, I was able, I was chosen. And I was chosen with a photo that I took on the way to go see him. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. So, it, you know, no, and I out of respect, I, I applied just because right, he told right. me to. So, of course, I had to. And, and that's the first time that was ever featured in, in, in a gallery. And it was an image that I took and on my phone, mm -hmm. on my cell mm -hmm. phone. Yeah. So, Michael, anything you want? So, uh, 
I, I don't even know where to start with with Jamel. He's been he's been a mentor to me. He's been a friend. He's been um he's an iconic photographer, but he's such a gentle and humble. He has such a gentle and humble spirit. Um now my first meeting was my first actual meeting with Jamel was we were I was told by Laura James. Um she kind of put that show together at the Andrew Freeman. Um, for Black Documents, um, that we were um, we were in the show with Jamel Shabazz, and you know I was like, oh my gosh, I seen this man's work. This man's work is incredible. As a matter of fact, some of my street fashion is modeled after Scott Shulman, the sartorialist, um, Bill Cunningham, and Jamel Shabazz. So I was blown away when I was told that I was going to be in a show alongside the work of Jamel Shabazz. Um, he reached out to me on social media. I started commenting on my work. Um, I was, I was blown <laughs> away. I mean, I could not believe it. And, um, and he had been such a, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any other words to say, but besides mentor, mm-hmm. and he's been such an encouragement to me yeah. for someone Who's an amazing talent like that to be that humble and be and be that um, giving of himself. It, it's just extraordinary. Um, and he's just been, again, like such an influence in terms of what I'm doing now mm-hmm. and how I'm shooting. And I also think his influence is only growing. I mean, he's. Yeah. Out of and it's really important to to really see, you know the history that yeah. he covered that no yeah, one else absolutely. historically his work yes. is incredibly important, you know, and how people just see his connection with his subject, mm-hmm. with yes. the participants and yes. the and the images. You could just see, you know, for someone to look at you, to look at the camera in that kind of way, there mm-hmm. had to be this incredible special connection. And so for him working the about with, you know, the current, you know, photographers and future photographers and be that giving, but just his work in general, I think for him to see beauty when other people weren't seeing beauty there, that is genius. Exactly. And he he took, he, he, he made an entire generation, um, look, be be looked at or be seen in, in, in such a beautiful way and such a respectful way and in such a proud way, um, at a, at a time like the time before crack, which is one of his books, mm-hmm. and and um and just just the style and the manner in which he presented his work and how he presented people, and it's like the thing that people don't know is when you look at Jamel's images, you don't know you can put a story together, you can get an emotional connection because of the way he makes his connection with his subject. But there's so many stories. I, I I actually had the privilege of going out to his house and sitting down and talking with him again. We we talked for hours mm-hmm. about his process, about um, his work, and about even the things that haven't even been seen yet. Um, that that he's that he has right now that he's working on and stuff. He was on uh, a part of a, a series we did with through B and H with uh, the photographer Corey Rice. Matter of fact, his portrait is on the site right now. Okay, and. Uh, what is photography? And we asked him, we talked a little bit and his answer was it's visual medicine. Right. And it's yes. not the best answer you'd ever want. Yeah. Either, right? yeah. yeah. And, and I echo everything you said. I don't know him too well, but is everything you said. It, for him or for the viewer? I think for both. Right. And I don't say that as a joke. Yeah, no, I, no, I don't. No. no, 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 no. And, and Jamel would say that it would be for both. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's, 
years of, of different things that was going on with him emotionally that he pours out into his photography. And some of the people that he's photographed will come back to him years later saying, oh my gosh, that's the only picture of my father that I've ever seen. You know, when you can do that with this medium and be able to, you know, my hope at some point is to be able to make those types of connections. And it's just great to be around a mentor like him because he's he's kind of like, he's he has me thinking in so many different ways in terms of how I can take a different approach to how I do what I do. And, and um, you know, I'm forever grateful for knowing him. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Something I'm curious about. I'm from Brooklyn, and I spent my first years in the uh, Nostrand Housing Projects, Avenue V and Knapp Street. And um, then uh, my father got enough raises, we were able to move into the co-ops three blocks away. We still all went to the same schools, didn't make it, had the same friends and everything else. Brooklyn has a reputation and a personality, as does the Bronx. No two ways about it. They're, they're, they're one and the same in many, many ways. How is the Bronx different from Brooklyn and other urban areas comparable to that. And there are other places that we could easily just peel back a few layers and drop it back down, and it's the Bronx. But how does the, how does the Bronx differ? How is it special? Well, the Bronx is incredibly special for, you know, some of the things that you had mentioned, you know, earlier when uh, you started the the podcast. I mean, Bronx is the birthplace of hip-hop. And everywhere that I have traveled to, everyone's listening to hip-hop today. Still. So this is, you know, this American music form that was created here out of nothing by, you know, Puerto Ricans and African-Americans. And we don't get everybody loves to talk about hip hop, but the South Bronx doesn't get any credit for really being the cradle of that art form. They never think. They don't get the street cred. No, but but in a way, you know, it makes it different. And the first way, the first um, um, it's different. Because one, it is such a negatively stereotyped place. Um, wherever I've been, when people ask me where are you from, I say the Bronx, and I could be in a village in Norway or in a small town in <laughs> Italy or in you know Colombia, and everyone responds the same way. And that really informed me um, about how this horrific pressure. Um, that people that live and are from the Bronx have to live every day. Uh, when I was there in high school, my high school girlfriends would tell me about, you know, the Bronx and I would always be super positive about things. And they were just like, things here are, um, I got to figure out that because of how other people thought about the Bronx, how what a weight it was on people! What a negative weight it was. It was a movie Fort Apache oh. about you know okay, that's a that, whole other well, topic. No, and, and, know, and, and yeah. that's what I was going to say in terms of like Reiner's experience outside of the United uh-huh. States and people having this negative connotation, and and it really a lot of it comes from that. Yeah, movie. I mean, when they yeah. heard they think the Bronx is burning, they took it literally. They really did. Yeah, and and to understand that, I mean, like any other place and any other situation and any historical event, mm-hmm. it's a lot more complex than what people make it out to be. But again, it's permissible 
because it is, you know, a stereotype of people of color and low income people. And that is not right. The Bronx, you know, is incredibly diverse. Exactly. It's a huge borough. Oh, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it yeah. is not just buildings and there subways. There are some very yeah. wealthy yeah. neighborhoods you know? in the Bronx. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. thing is, you know, there is a really healthy middle class there as well. But even if there weren't, we need to really be respectful to what is so wrong with being of color and poor or low income? Why, why is there, why is that okay to be the butt of every single joke? Um, and to me, I take it personally because my time in the Bronx has honestly been the best times of my life. I've learned so much from these people that, you know, get kicked in the face every day just from being and just living somewhere. And not even beginning to talk about their complex lives or anything like that. But you just say, and people naturally don't live that way. If you say you're from another city, they're not getting that kind of negative connotation that it's already like a a rock on your chest. And so why is Bronx special? Bronx is special because no matter what people throw at people from the Bronx, they succeed no matter what. People are producing in this borough and have done so and will continue to do so. Yeah, I have to I have to ditto um what Ryan said in terms of the Bronx and see I grew up in Brooklyn and Brooklyn was like, you know, um when you think of the mongoose and the cobra or the snake, <laughs> that's how it was between Brooklyn and the Bronx. And it, it, I More used so to, when the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn. Well, <laughs> but that's yeah, another that, story. That's okay. a whole other story too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure more so, but I know that when I was young, when I was young, if I was going to a party and it, and it was in the Bronx, we were like, nah, we're not going. We're not going up there. But we it had such a negative connotation to it. And and it's not that Brooklyn didn't, but again, it it it's like just these two separate entities, you know. But one of the things I've been in the Bronx for about I want to say close to 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And the Bronx is an amazing borough with amazing people. Um I still will always be Brooklyn born because that's just, you know, that's the whole thing with Brooklyn. It just has this whole, it has this whole, um, this thing, like my wife would say, you know, you walk around like you got a chip on your shoulder. I said, yeah, that's, that's just the Brooklyn in me. Sorry about that. So that will always, I always carry that with me, but I, I don't know what I would have done in my life if I hadn't come to the Bronx. Um, the Bronx is where I fell in love with photography um, I fell in love with not just um, the the photography as a whole, but also with the idea of shooting diversity and showing a side of humanity that uh, sometimes I felt wasn't being seen in the Bronx. Um, and so, you know, I, I love the Bronx. Now this show has to come to an end. Okay. Uh, Ryan, people want to see your work. Where should they go? So currently I have the Papi um, El Maestro exhibition at the Bronx Music Heritage Center. I'm also part of the pop-up show at the Bronx Documentary Center. And then just um, a few weeks ago, Subete Mujer, you know, celebrating Women's History Month at The Point. I have a few images there as well. But you can check out my work on Instagram, Raina Santos. Okay. And also all of these well, all these links will be on our website. Awesome. Mike. Yeah, I mean, I still have some images up at the pop-up show at mm-hmm. the BDC. Um, uh, that is probably it right now in terms of exhibitions. And But you can find me on Instagram at my street work is at MG Young Photography. Um, 
and I have portrait work at Portraits by MGY. Okay. I didn't know about to say, yeah, and you post a lot. I mean, not, I'm going to say yeah. over, but you post regular and I'm clicking all the time. Yeah, I'm, like, not even, you know, I'm not even uh, sure yeah, yeah. what, what you know, the, you know, how, how often you're supposed to post and not post, but <laughs> just kind of like, I just throw stuff If up. you ask no, 10 I people, mean, you'll nobody, get 10 different opinions. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm saying right. regular post, you got a great Instagram feed is what I should have said. And Thank that's, you so that's much. What I, that's what I I'm appreciate saying. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, Everyday Bronx. Right. Everyday oh, Bronx. Take a look at that. And, uh, oh, and, and I should point out too that, um, to also check out Everyday Black America. Um, I'm actually one of the curators and one of the um, contributing photographers oh, great, great. for Everyday. And it's, it's under it? the Everyday um, um, family. Okay. Uh, and it's BronxDocumentaryCenter.org. Is that the website? That's right. Okay. And BronxDoc.org. BronxDoc.org. Okay, great. Um, all right. Did okay. you want to mention about an upcoming prod? You're going to start into a yeah, project? I just, you or? know, I'm also part of the Bronx Women's Photo Collective, mm. you know, and so we're beginning to do a lot of um, events and encouraging and supporting um, female photographers in the Bronx. And then hopefully, you know, moving into new projects this year, one following uh, Star Wars fans mm-hmm. here in New York, starting starting yeah. local. <laughs> and then, you know, like every other photographer trying to apply for grants for work that I would love to continue, like my work for Latina Muslims. Um, and I would love to be able to to continue that work and, and, uh, and be able to photograph that more. Food for thought. Speaking about food for thought, if you are not a subscriber to this podcast, how come? Drop what you're doing right now and head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, any of them, and sign up. And you can always find us on the BH Explorer website, as well as the BH Photography Podcast Facebook group page, which is up and running and growing like gangbusters. We have, what, way over 500 uh, members already. Uh, and remember, tell them Al sent you. Uh, and for now, on behalf of Jason, John, and myself, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. 